0: near-death experience podcast item number 301 july 2nd 2020 angels in the or trisha barker's nde interview part two of two parts welcome to near-death experience podcast the official podcast and source of audio accounts for the nderf i'm your host john messer you are about to hear the second part and conclusion of Tricia Barker's interview. Tricia is the author of Angels in the OR, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival, and Transformation. If you have somehow stumbled onto this item without yet listening to the first part of her interview in item number 300, you should listen to that before you hear this conclusion. Links to all the items mentioned in the interview, as well as Tricia's contact information, are in the show notes of both episodes. Be sure to check out her website, TrishaBarkerNDE.com, where you can sign up for the third annual online Near-Death Experience Summit. It's free this year, and you gotta love that. And now, the conclusion of Trisha Barker's Near-Death Experience interview. You also interview people on your youtube channel and i'll put links in the show notes folks uh, in your interview of jim bruton you mentioned that your soul knew months before you were going to die that you were going to die you you saw your tombstone tell us about that
1: yeah so i left that out of the book because uh it it's it gets a little complicated that basically you know if you want to tell a good story you do have to cut some things out because it it, it can be confusing but yeah, the there was a moment, actually, I'll, I'll just be candid <laughs> and describe the moment fully, but I was in a comedy club, and we had smoked pot before going to see a particular comedian. And I remember watching the show, and at some point, I had an out-of-body experience, but I didn't even know it was an out-of-body experience. I would just lift it up out of my soul for a moment, and I heard this loud booming voice say you are going to die and then i was back in my body and i thought i'd had some kind of psychotic break or i thought oh my god these drugs are terrible i'm having some kind of panic attack i didn't even know what was going on but it it scared me and i thought oh okay i better you know if this is a possibility then i need to get in better shape and i need to get my life together and so that's really why i started running that uh, for the, and practicing for that race is I wanted to be healthier, stronger, you know, not smoke pot, and not go out as much and really just focus on, on health. Cause I thought, dear God, what if I die? And then the, the night before the accident, it was as as if these horrific dreams, I was out of time already. So I would hear my mother and father's soul kind of screaming at me in the dream. And my dad was like, watch out, no, 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 no. And I would wake up in a panic and a sweat. And I'd hear my mom going, I can't believe this has happened. This is horrible. And it, it terrified me. And then also I just didn't get that much sleep before I got in my car. So I thought, well, was this near death experience destined? You know, did I have those dreams in that moment? for a particular reason or is reality so tenuous that maybe if I would have chosen to not get healthy and run this race and if I would have kept um, up the lifestyle I was living, maybe I would have just died. And, you know, maybe there would have been a tombstone for me instead of a near death experience. And that, you know, maybe there are these alternate realities for us.
0: You've had other STEs. One comes to mind the ceiling fan tell us about some other things that you've experienced since your NDE
1: yeah the one that I should probably talk about more because it's such a little brief moment in the book is the and this isn't really an STE but this is just the healing presence of Jesus that I felt in a cathedral and it, it changed so much about my life so you know, flash forward many years later, I'm I'm in this um, in great pain because of uh, the fusion of my back, and my neck is beginning to hurt, and has pretty bad arthritis, and I'm, I'm in my late 30s, and I'm thinking I can't continue much longer with this level of pain. Like we're talking, you know, nine or 10 every day, just like a rattlesnake biting into my neck, and so out of out of curiosity and just a whim, I went to a healing cathedral and I stopped to pray. And when I was in prayer, I felt Jesus. And I didn't see Jesus in my near-death experience. You know, I just saw this light of God, but I felt the spirit of Jesus. And he showed me that I could go back to childhood. I could begin to heal some of my emotional wounds and he'd be there for me. And that healing at the physical levels first has to start at the emotional level. And that I had to heal some things in order to see things differently. And that it would eventually translate into physical healing. So that that moment was really profound and it led to greater meditations and more out-of-body experiences during meditation where sometimes I would be taken in meditation just to this healing cave or this healing cathedral or I don't even know it was just like this room and I would feel healing energy so like during a meditation it was as if my soul was simply taken somewhere and given the healing that it needed and that's why I tell people to continue with meditation, because if you want one of these near death experiences, or you want it a spiritually transformative experience, or you want something amazing, then go in search of it and go in search of it at healing cathedrals, at spiritual events, at different places that are sacred, and definitely just in the sacredness of a meditation, because you never know when, when one of those moments is going to occur, but the more opportunities perhaps you give yourself for those types of moments the more likely it is that they'll happen
0: much more highly recommended than having a head-on collision yes
1: oh yeah yeah just meditate (laughs) yeah (laughs) we often joke in your death experiences that we must have been pretty darn stubborn
0: (laughs) so let's talk more about your rapid recovery because you did heal pretty quickly even though you had chronic pain You tried a lot of different therapies, even long after you had healed uh, well into your teaching years, one of which is Reiki, which, as I understand it, is a channeling of energy. Can you tell us what you know about that and similar, different from what the angels were channeling with their energy?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think many near-death experiencers are kind of natural energy workers that we understand. Certainly, I saw the energy from the angels that was sent through the surgeons. And I had this awareness that I could send energy. I could send loving energy, healing energy to people. And so I sought out to different people who were Reiki workers and they found me and I had friends who did it. And after trying moments in life or just, you know, the stress that builds up in life, I think that kind of work can bring about a subtle shift that can lead to greater healing. I mean, I certainly believe in healing at all levels, you know, whether that's eating clean, whether that's psychology, but I just don't leave out the spiritual component and energy work because I think that speeds up uh, maybe a focus on, you know, good eating habits or going to the therapist. Like if you go see a therapist and you also get energy work, then maybe you make breakthroughs quicker. You know, I I just think it can happen that way.
0: I absolutely agree. Uh, If we're looking at us as a body, mind, a spirit, as you develop one, it tends to push you more into developing the others. If you're going to start exercising, going to the gym, eventually you start thinking I should eat better. And that can bring you around to a more spiritual level or the way you did it, where it was a more of a spiritual Oh my gosh! I'm going to die. I better clean up my act here. But I think they feed off of each other. Absolutely.
1: Yes, yes, but it can be comprehensive, and we are a whole being. And and certainly, people are moving beyond that that Western idea of oh, I have a pain. Now let me take you know this medicine for this pain. It's like, well, what's causing it, and is there. You know a belief system even at play that well everyone in my family had this well what did everyone in your family eat (laughs) you know like how can you eat different how can you let go of some energetic bonds to that belief system that you will have that disease how can you you know break through that
0: yes and even as the foods that we eat have changed over the millennia absolutely time being relative okay everything happens at the same time over there that's what we hear people say but yet things are explained seemingly sequentially, like first you left the hospital, then you saw your or you saw your dad buying candy, then you left the hospital, then you had a life review, then you saw your grandfather in the truck, then you moved to God. They kind of describe things as a passing of time. What more can you tell us about how time is in the afterlife?
1: Yeah, so sometimes people will ask me questions on my YouTube channel, like. What did each moment feel like a week or a day or an hour or a minute? What did each one feel like? And I think the best answer is it could have been any of those. Like the first moments could have been minutes, seconds, days, you know, a few hours that I couldn't tell how much time had passed, that time just didn't seem important, that this was just as if you think about a book, just falling open in the middle. Well, yeah, maybe your eyes read through the whole thing, but then you're at this one moment in time and you know that the book goes in this order, so you are not like can explain it in that order, <laughs> but it does, it does kind of just happen, just unfold in this way. And I think what really fascinated me is how quickly the spirit can move, that it can go through walls really quickly or that it can will itself to be out in the stars or In this other location, other near death experiencers have talked about how they thought about someone on the other side of the world and then they were just there. So during medium readings, people often ask, Well, are are my ancestors always watching me? Like, no, but whenever you know you want them or they feel like you're in pain or you need them, then maybe their soul feels that and they're there right for you immediately, that it doesn't take any passage of time for them to get there, but they're not going to invade your privacy and just stand there looking at you.
0: (laughs) Do you think we disturb them when we call on them and talk to them or ask them to send us a sign or to spend some time with us? Do we disturb them over there?
1: People that I've heard talk about this have differing questions. And what I can tell you with my own relationship with my father over there, it's changed over the years. And there is a, I wouldn't say an annoyance, but kind of a, okay, I understand you need me in this moment, but can you please just have some faith in yourself (laughs) and know that you're going to be okay and that you're making good decisions. So there does seem to be this, oh, they want us to be self-sufficient and have maybe more of a connection to God than necessarily having to hear from them all the time. Although I think their, their soul is this. Connection that we understand, and of course we have our psychology and our own and our emotions, and we miss them. And, and there's a, I have great compassion for people who want to connect with their ancestors over there because I I understand it because of my own need. But but I think it is important at some point after some confirmations to just have some faith that, that they're going to meet you when you transition, that they're going to be there for you, that they're loving you from the other side, and. Just rely on your own guidance and your own relationship with God.
0: So about five years ago, God spoke with you and said, your mission is done. That voice said, your mission is complete. You can teach if you want, but you can do whatever you want to do. Longtime listeners of this program will recognize this as something like Chaz experienced when God told him he could resume doing the podcast if he wanted to after Chaz took a hiatus. So since you did what God has asked you to do, and apparently completed his mission that he wanted you to do, it frees you to do your own mission, time for your own mission, uh, what?
1: Yeah, it's really been confusing. So I guess I kind of have an adolescent soul still, because my first question, honestly, to God was like, well, can I just go get a hammock in the Bahamas and just like live on the beach and not do anything. <laughs> and, you know, cause I, I was kind of like, what do I want to do at this point? I don't know. And I think the intelligence was trying to tell me that I understood that God works through me in the classroom. And that if I bring that energy with me into life, God will continue to work through me in whatever I choose to do, whether that would be, corporate trading or or you know working in in different areas of life that if I'm drawn to that I can do that so writing the book was a first step but there's so many people who attack people who write books and I just want to enforce that I do not make any kind of living from that book <laughs> you know that's really just an, an act of love and it's been a lot of fun to have it out there but but the I still continue to make a living teaching because, you know, you have degrees and experience and that's just, you know, what you do. I still feel guided in the classroom, but I'm open to an evolving, changing world. And now we're actually living in a world that's so unusual that I am still in the process of evolving. And I think, well, would I want to go work on a farm and be outdoors? and? Pick vegetables and you know live close to the earth and lead meditation groups and live the live this kind of humble life. Would I like to travel and teach meditation classes at corporations and small groups? And you know, I'm honestly trying to figure this out. Would I like to um, you know work in the media in some way? Would I like to? I, I don't really honestly know, but I just know that. Um, Yeah, I'm kind of freed up. And it's a weird feeling. Like, at first, I was annoyed that I had this mission to teach and that that would be my life. Then I accepted it. Then I loved it. And then it's gone. And I think many people struggle in that same way. Like, what's my life purpose? I can only just keep going and figure it out as I go.
0: And you're free to do things like talk to me on this podcast.
1: Yeah, which is a ton of fun. I mean, meeting all these people, it's just been amazing.
0: Full and fair disclosure, Trisha. Trisha, I I am conducting this interview from my hammock in the Bahamas. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Lucky you. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I wish. I wish. (laughs) So God works through us. Our trials and tribulations here in this life, no matter how trite they seem to us, they're important to the growth of our souls, and for others as well. The divinity within us, our light can help light the light of others. We have angels, archangels, guides, and even our ancestors help us achieve God's plan.
1: The bottom yeah, line
0: though, is love ourselves, yes. love others, to the glory of God. Yes. And even though we don't see the angels, they're always around us.
1: Yes. They are, and I'm certain of that. And we can call on them more often and feel their energy, feel their protection. They can be kind of playful in the way that they communicate. Uh, They can, I call on them when I need healing. That's one of my favorite ways to call on them. So if I do a meditation and I have a particular emotional issue or physical pain, I just ask that that be shifted. In the meditation and often i can feel their energy working on those areas
0: so maybe better off to call on our angels archangels and spirit guides than to bother our ancestors with such things <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah and ancestors are, are pretty good with uh helping us with major life decisions i think many times i've i've seen people do this and almost the way you would call a parent or you would call someone that you cared about or needed help from in that moment.
0: Do you think our decisions affect their lives too?
1: Oh, what a great question.
0: Sometimes you'll hear people talk about, um, you know, not just evolution of our DNA, but evolution of our spiritual DNA and how that's also touching others.
1: What a fascinating question what I think and what I feel is that perhaps they stay connected to us through love. And so if we're suffering, they are aware of that. And if we are creating more joy in our lives, then maybe they feel some of that freedom and joy that we've created in our lives. And so there's a, um, maybe even some of the ancestors make a pact to hang around more when people are struggling and that must affect them on some level.
0: So a focus on helping others, helping ourselves, helping others while we're here. And that takes practice. So this is a part of each of our souls journeys, both mortal and in our internal lives. What advice do you have for those who are looking for their cause haven't had that NDE with God. They're looking for their cause, much like you are now that your mission is done. They're struggling to make it work as they find their cause or as they work at it. What recommendations do you have?
1: I think that beyond the near-death experience, my soul had a particular mission. And I think everyone's soul does. And it takes some time to get to that place and figure out what it is. But but part of what i feel like my soul wanted to do is to communicate to express to write to, to create art to, to create beauty that you know expression was just an important vital part of my near death i mean of my life and my soul and the near death experience is just part of that expression that there's more that i want to express and talk about and and everyone if they really get kind of central with themselves they realize like what do you like to do (laughs) like what what do you do often and when you start looking at that that's a beginning point but then some people are so afraid to even take the first steps into what they love and I would say oh take those first steps (laughs) by all means do that
0: (laughs) spend some time in nature meditation prayer Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and really look at what directions give you joy. So, you know, for me, the the obvious direction was well, since I was fourteen, I love poetry and I love writing, so go in that direction. And you know, wherever it leads, that's fine. If I end up moving colleges and teaching at some point in a creative writing department, then that would be wonderful. If I teach in the spiritual community and and mentor other writers that would be fun too I mean there's you don't know how it unfolds but certainly going in the direction of joy is a great direction.
0: I think writing about traumas can help release it do you you recommend people should write down uh, problems traumas they've had or about their STEs or their dreams?
1: Oh definitely definitely and not everyone has to share them publicly but there's there's something powerfully profound about just writing it down. So keep a journal. I tell people to keep dream journals too, because if they're trying to have an SDE or connect with an ancestor, paying attention to dreams and writing down and automatic writing is a way to access those deeper layers of the self. And, and certainly it's a good exercise to, uh, if you want to release something, to write it down, to burn it, to bury it. You know, there's there's all kind of uh, exercises out there that if you're drawn to one, by all means do it. But we think differently when we write. Like writing is thinking in some ways, and it's clarifying. There are, I think, a lot of people who will write something, and they'll shock themselves, and they'll know something ahead of time, or they'll they'll just have greater clarity once they put it on paper.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think when you think things, you understand them from a certain perspective, but when you think about them enough to construct sentences, change a word here or there to make it more concise, that it hits you differently, just like it can affect people who read it.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And and then years later, you go back and realize, oh, okay, this is where I was at that moment. And, you know, that was actually some deep, good thinking I was doing at that time. And, and there's a, there's just a lot of importance to writing that down. And then, you know, whether you share it with a group or a small group or publish or don't publish, it doesn't matter. It's just an important act.
0: Your life with your uh, abuse reminded me a lot of Corinne Zelot. Who I interviewed back a few episodes ago and the importance of forgiveness. One of the things that you say is the end of suffering is accepting things as they are without wishing for a different past or different outcomes. Acceptance. How do you find it in your heart to forgive someone who raped you?
1: You know, it wasn't easy at first, and there wasn't acceptance at first. There was shock and horror and many years of PTSD, but I think what began to heal me, and God must have known this, is when I saw an eighth-grade boy who had been raped it as a young kid and going through his own PTSD, and I had some information to help him. And when I saw a young girl who'd been Raped 14, and you know, was dealing with a possible unwanted pregnancy around that rape, and you know, there were countless other situations where kids were assaulted or uh, raped. And when I saw what they were going through, I thought, okay, my own healing and my own release of this is vital because it's not about me anymore. It's about what can I do to show them how I've healed and gotten through this. So. You know, if I didn't go to the Rick Crisis Center and I didn't at first and go through those steps of letting it go and talking with others, then I couldn't recommend that to other people. So I had to do these things in order to address my own healing and then remind students of what they could do. And then I also reminded them that, hey, great pain brings about great empathy. So now I'm. I'm connected to everyone who's experienced that. And they are too. And just reminding those kids that they could help other people. They could maybe protect other people. They could enlighten other people um, about this issue, gave them greater power. So I think the forgiveness part came later. And it, I mean, much later. I mean, honestly, and I don't think I've ever said this in an interview, but, you know, there were early years where I thought, oh, God, I wish I could just, you know, go back really? to Korea and find justice and, you know, like, persecute this guy and, you know, like, make sure, sure. that he's, you know, like, you know, like th- th- that maybe the whole world could get behind this and, you know, hold people accountable in other um, nations that, you know, you can't treat people, their countries that badly and not not have a justice system around that. Like, there was these... Dreams of justice and just maybe so that this person wouldn't be out there doing that, but at some point you can't hang on to that because that's just not how it's playing up, out you know how it's playing out is I meant to talk about this and educate other people and make people think and that push if we push the world farther along into a greater evolution, then that's sometimes what we're just doing you know, that. You know, my experience is one experience in a sea of other experiences. How can we make this a kinder world for all people? That's the real question. It doesn't even matter if it's rape or murder or whatever it is that we've experienced in the physical. How can we evolve?
0: Quite poignant in the era of Me Too and Black Lives Matter since your rape.
1: Yeah, yeah. That basically, I think we all need a whole lot more empathy for the experiences of others and i i believe teaching literature and teaching english gives people some greater empathy because you walk in the footsteps of of people who have written and and writers and poets are often deep thinkers and and many of them like Walt Whitman were abolitionists and and cared so much about other people and it's it's beautiful to see
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Ah, so I love talking with people like you. You've spoken with your dad in dreams. He reassured you that what he's experiencing over there is based so much in just pure love. Your book is so beautifully written, and the way you characterize others is really an enjoyable experience to to read. So the way you speak of your dad's humor really touched me uh, because my dad uh, had a humorous soul as well. So your dad died of cancer?
1: Yes, brain cancer.
0: And you were there for him. You speak of how watching someone struggle desperately to live in a body that's failing them can be a horrifying experience. Those of us who had similar situations watching our loved ones demise that way can certainly relate. But you talk of how no one could have died with more grace. And uh, I think I'll quote you here. However, when someone winks at it, being death, waves at it, grabs the conductor's baton out of death's hand and doesn't care, you must laugh with them. And you say, given a choice of a blissful medication or laughing, I choose laughing every time. Was that your dad's philosophy? Trust in the process?
1: Yeah, that when you have that much faith that you're headed to the afterlife and that's where you are going then this physical doesn't hold as much weight or it just doesn't mean as much. And I think that absolute comic or the clown or that person who's able to do that is so needed because it brings people together laughter. And it also, I mean, even if he was putting on a brave face and that was just his role that he was going to play for me, he played it beautifully and he made his death as easy as possible for me. And I think that if I looked at other people have commented on this and they've wondered, oh, will I be that strong? And I'm like, try because your kids will really appreciate it on some level if you're just there to love them and entertain them. And, you know, you're not complaining about every physical ailment and moment that that really there's something more. We're headed towards that more. We're headed towards eternity, and it's important to keep that in mind. But yeah, his joy and his humor was something that nurses commented on, doctors commented on, and and I certainly felt and, and felt gratitude for the way he died. Kind of strong. He was a Navy guy, and so I know he had military experience. So in some ways, I think He just accepted the pain with a certain amount of strength.
0: Let's talk about you studying and researching NDEs since you had one. I'll quote you, often the most compromised of physical bodies have the most transcendental experiences. So let's talk about a little bit more about yours. When you encountered God, would you say this was the God, the creator of everything, the Alpha and the Omega?
1: I certainly got that sense that there couldn't be anything, any experience that was more loving, more profound, more intense than what I felt in the presence of God. And that moment changed everything. So I would say, yes, that, that intelligence had to be the source. And I kept wanting to go closer and know more about that. And the the quote that you mentioned beforehand You know, that even in life, I think as people are dying, they become more spiritual. And maybe when they live with compromised bodies, they can access the spiritual to bring that in here.
0: Uh, You also say that you couldn't process everything the angels were giving you in that moment. So what other revelations or understandings have you gained since it's been a few years uh, since you've had time to process that? Yeah,
1: so... Really after my near-death experience, I was just kind of in shock and glee like a child and and there was so much of it that I didn't unpack fully. And it it took years. I mean it, it happened in ninety-four. I started writing the book in 2016 or so. It was published in 2019. And from ninety-four to two thousand eight, you know, the first interview I, I gave with Biochannel there was a lot of unpacking. You know, there was several moments where I felt angels working through me in the classroom. I learned to slow down and, and accept that. I learned to connect with my angels in meditation long before I wrote about it. But you know, the, the moments were, how do I, I phrase this? Like right after the near-death experience, they were magical and large and I didn't understand how they came to me or why they came to me it was like I was just living in this shocked place of oh wow, I just connected with a a spirit or oh wow, I just had a really profound experience and then as time has gone on I just understand it more than just kind of living in the now if that makes sense.
0: I want to talk to you about a topic that's very important to listeners who've written into me and that's about evil. Let's talk about those who feel STEs are of the devil. Your mother was excited to hear about your NDE after she heard of that verifiable evidence, your your stepfather buying the candy bar when you returned. But then her feelings about it soured after talking to her minister who told her that NDEs are of the devil. People write me, Tricia, and ask me if I think that These NDEs could be of the devil, since the devil can disguise himself as light. What can you tell us about how NDEs are maybe or not possibly an evil trick played on us by Satan?
1: Yeah, I just laughed when my mom told me that. and I really clearly, I could feel the energy. She handed me a particular pamphlet where this minister had written up, why he thought near death experiences that didn't feature Jesus were of the devil. And I could literally feel his fear. And I knew that there was only love or fear. And that darkness that I saw over there was fear. And so, honestly, there are some religions that, and some churches that are sending out the wrong energy and the wrong energy is fear. So a lot of that belief system is based around judgment, fear, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm not going to listen to you. And my mother is the type of person who I may mean, it's a different generation, but if someone is an authority like a minister, then she's going to give credit to that person instead of really challenging the the person and I'm a generation xer and you know like born when when Nixon was being, uh, was going through what he was going through. And so my generation tends to discredit and distrust the government, corporations, people in general. And, you know, there's a lot of skepticism that we were br- raised with. And so I was convinced that I had touched a love that changed my life forever. And my argument to my mother was, well, just look, am I different do When's the last time you heard me talk about God or joy or be excited about anything in my life? Obviously, that near-death experience changed me dramatically and put me in touch with a spirit world. And you may not agree with everything that I believe or think, but surely you can see the light in me. You can see that I touched something beautiful and that's not a trick. Well, this particular minister believed that there were near-death experiencers who killed themselves or got divorces or um, went through various things that just couldn't be of God. And one of the things he cited was this woman divorced her Baptist preacher of a husband. And I just started laughing and I said, well, mom, maybe she was just more enlightened at that point And she just couldn't connect with his religion. <laughs> it was a, uh, maybe he was really, judgmental and angry and then she was just full of love like to me i think it's quite common that people who are older and have a near-death experience end up divorced because you marry one person and then they come out of this experience and they're just so different and maybe they were more codependent or the relationship was just based on a lot of physical things that just don't make sense to a highly spiritual person afterwards and so I would say, people fall into that trap of thinking this is a lie or the devil because they don't understand energy. they They don't know that our soul recognizes love. Like I my soul recognized God. I, there's no way that I could have confused a trick or the devil with that absolute love of God. It was the best thing that ever occurred. and then, was God right? Should I have been a teacher? Absolutely right. I mean, I could die right now and I would die happy knowing that I taught all these students and I did God's work.
0: I absolutely agree. And the way that I answer those questions to the people who write in, uh, I'm not a biblical scholar, but in the Bible, when Jesus was accused of working on behalf of Satan because he was driving out spirits, Jesus said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, then he cannot stand. His end has come. So many of these STEs are promoting love of self, love of others, love of God. I know they can't be of Satan. Uh, In fact, two of the commandments Moses brought down from Mount Ararat, uh, were just that. And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second was like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is exactly what so many people who've had STEs come back with. Uh, And we know that all things work for good for those who love and serve uh, the Lord. Another Bible quote. You yourself have said, you're in the flow of God when you're giving love in this world. So folks, I don't think it's Satan. Tradi- uh, Trisha, think it could be Satan.
1: No, no. And your, your examples were perfect, That all of the earthly problems, the answer can be found in God. So whatever, whatever society is going through, and I have a, uh, you know, there's so many different quotes about this but you know whatever it's this country is going through other countries are going through whether it's individual whether it's at this large scale turning your eyes to God and loving God is going to bring in the best possible solution and so everyone who's turning to God bringing in that God energy you know great hearts and this great connection to God can transform this world and, and we need to remember that and that that commandment is exactly true. And I think most near death experiencers come out of their experience or, you know, people who've had STEs as well. They're just blown away by how loving and amazing God is. I couldn't stop talking about it. I just felt like for years just high on God. It's just like, ah, God's so amazing. You know, and I just don't think that, uh, that that could possibly be a trick, you know, that's mainly because it has done nothing but. Add joy to my life and that it has forced me out of i think there's a lot of cultural narcissism and whether that narcissism comes from pain you know child abuse or broken relationships the answer is not in focusing a little more on yourself it's focusing on others and you know your own healing comes through being in action of course doing things to heal yourself but but really staying in this focus that it, there's a lot of people going through far worse things than you're going through. So if you do something to help them, it's going to help you in, in the long run. And so that loving that your neighbor is yourself. The answer to your healing is in doing that. You know, it's, it's those two things looking to God and, and basically my near death experience showed me that like God's amazing and now go out and work and help others.
0: And the ears say they aren't afraid to die. And this was tested for you because you almost died in a plane crash. You think the angels were there at that moment? Tell us about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I wonder why that has happened. Like people are fascinated by that moment. But I, when I talked with Howard Storm, I think we talked about it, but yeah, if someone pointed a gun at me or if a plane was going down or, you know, like there was imminent death, I'm not afraid to transition. Nobody likes physical pain. So, you know, a long drawn out disease is not something I look forward to. But yeah, when that plane was going down, we were told to get in crash position. Both engines had stopped. And it felt like we we're a rock in the sky. I know that they're supposed to glide or something, but honestly, I felt like we were just falling from the sky and we we're in crash position. And the man next to me were he grabbed my hand and I said, Pray with me. And so we started praying and I said Look, when we hit the ground, our souls are probably gonna leave before we even feel all of the impact and just go to God, go to that light, just go to God, know that you're okay, know that you're loved, know that all will be fine. And he was screaming and crying because he had kids and he's like, I don't wanna die, I don't wanna leave. And I said, if this is meant to be, it's meant to be and I didn't think it was going to be this soon, but hey, here we are, and we're falling from the sky, so just keep thinking about God and, and pray right now that, uh, you know, God is with us, and then the second engine caught, I guess, and we were able to make an emergency landing. It was on my way to Seattle from Dallas-Fort Worth, and we landed in Spokane instead, and I just remember feeling so at peace, like other people were freaking out. The pilot came out and he threw his hat down and he got on the speaker and he said, just so you know, that was bad and I'm never going to fly again. <laughs> oh my God, I guess that was bad. <laughs> Don't know exactly what happened, but he quit that day, the, uh, the pilot. And then I just jumped on another plane to Seattle. I wasn't afraid.
0: Trisha, so what do you hunger to know about the afterlife?
1: Oh, yeah, I guess after doing these past life regressions, I guess I want to know what's possible for those of us who maybe don't want to come back. Do we get to work as guides? Do we get to work as angels? Can we not do this again? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of near-death experiencers who, there's some part of us, I think we feel a little tired and maybe after you know it's eternity so maybe we feel like we had a thousand years of rest maybe we're recharged and we're ready to try this again but what is it that's possible you know i keep getting this message from the other side that there's so much more that we can do here like spiritually and so what is humanity not awakening to what are you know we supposedly only use a small portion of our brains what are we not accessing what miracles can perhaps we perform here on earth i think if if it's possible to stimulate some of that in humanity or to come back and and really do that then perhaps many of us might want to return but i think what i'm most curious about is what can i continue to do over there without having to incarnate again The options are there you know to do other things other than incarnate and i think it's nancy rhymes who i interviewed who talked about she wanted to differentiate and say that she was not necessarily an angel in another life but she was a guide and she was there for people who were transitioning and maybe didn't have someone to meet them so you know i don't know why those cases would exist but um but but yeah perhaps we can be guides for people
0: You created and you organized the annual online near-death experience summit, the third rendition of which will be held uh, this year, 2020, on August 1st and August 2nd. Give us some dates, details, times. Tell us about it.
1: Yeah, so I love gathering people together because I like to try to bring a piece of that afterlife or a little bit more of heaven into a couple of days. And I, I feel like if you get a lot of people speaking all at once, then it's just, if people sit down and really listen to this live event, then I've seen people who are on the fence with being agnostic or spiritual, just absolutely convinced after hearing all these stories, because you hear near-death experiences from people from all walks of life, and eventually you're going to go, wow, okay, you know, this person says this, that resonated with me, and and there's an access to greater healing but i'm particularly excited about this year because many of the speakers are leaders in their community and spiritual leaders and they have a lot to say about these times and i I made the summit exactly the way i want to make it which is a focus on energetic transformation so how to bring in more of that love how to connect with your angels and then really how to apply that to your own life. I mean, if there's anything that I want, it's I want other people to feel that love of God as an energy. I really want to bring that into this world. And so I'm doing my best (laughs) with this summit. And it's free this year because of everything that we've been through. So if you are in a compatible time zone, I'm in central time. And it's from noon till 6 on August 1st and 2nd, then catch as many of the speakers as you would like. And if you can't catch it all, then after it's over, then I will upload the videos and that is for purchase. But uh, it has been just such a joy interviewing many of these people and I want to deepen the conversations with them about making this energy applicable to people's lives.
0: Kind of your hand at bringing universe school to us on earth.
1: (laughs) Yeah, perhaps bringing a little of that love too, if at all possible. But uh, I certainly love supporting the speakers and creating a platform that does that. It's a lot of fun.
0: And as you said earlier, hearing it, healing at the spiritual level before the physical level has to come first. How should people uh, prepare they're going to attend those lectures what should they do to be ready
1: oh yeah so you can go to my website and find information about it uh tricia t-r-i-c-i-a barker b-a-r-k-e-r-n-d-e.com i post about it if you follow me on facebook but yeah if you want to watch some of my interviews with the speakers ahead of time on youtube those are out there and uh, certainly, if you follow me on social media and send some questions ahead of time, that's that's always a lot of fun, too, because I want people's questions, and that's part of how it all works together is, you know, if, if someone has a particular question for a particular speaker, then I'd love to mark that down.
0: Okay, and I will put links to all of Trisha's contact uh, information in the show notes, folks. Tricia Barker, thank you so much for taking the time to help us understand what you've experienced so that it helps to open up our spiritual eyes as well.
1: Oh, thank you, John, for your insightful questions and for your research and your knowing. It's been a delightful interview. Loved it. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste.
0: I again thank Trisha Barker for being so generous with her time and helping us elucidate the ineffable. Angels in the O.R. truly is the most well-written book I've read to date about NDEs. When you read it, you will see how brave and vulnerable Trisha is. But she's also very humble. She didn't even mention that she has a book of poetry. She has her own podcast. She does readings and has guided meditations, all of which can be accessed from her website, Trisha. Barker, N-D-E Be sure to go there now, and if it's before August 1st of 2020, sign up for the third annual online Near-Death Experience Summit, which will take place on August 1st and August 2nd of 2020. I'll be in attendance, and I hope you'll join Tricia and me then. Thanks so, so very much for listening and for sharing the podcast with others. Please write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. This gives the show exposure so others can find it. Until next time, this is your host, John Messer, reminding you, it's all about attitude and gratitude, and our attitude should always be love.